0: Welcome to the Faith Today
1: Podcast. My name is Kieran Stiller. And I'm Bill Fladares.
0: Bill, you are the host of this uh, podcast today, and this is an interview that also appears in the print issue of the uh, September-October 2023 Faith Today. So who are we looking forward to hearing you speak with today? I had a
1: great chat with Anthony Segrist, who works with Arasha Canada. It's a Christian environmental group. He's the head of their Ontario chapter. We had a great discussion about love of creation and how we're called to take care of it and how we can try to line ourselves up better with the kind of attitude that Jesus teaches in his parables where he says, for example, that there's this assumption that God cares even for the sparrow. So if God cares for the sparrow, then you know what should we be doing and thinking?
0: So sometimes when we're talking about environmentalism within the Christian community, I find it's almost like a you're for it or you're not. You know, you're involved or you're not kind of thing. Does this interview hit both of those sides, so to speak, or, or maybe my perception's wrong?
1: No, I th- and I think you're right. We actually touched on that a little bit. It can be a bit awkward, and I think it's partly about politics. There are certain associations that people have with stewardship or caring for creation or it depends the language you use to describe it you can describe it as environmentalism or whatever and people sort of sometimes get their hackles up about that but if we take it back to biblical principles we're part of the creation that god made and we're stewards to take care of it so i think that's pretty basic and pretty clear in the creation story and elsewhere but we do need to find ways to kind of grapple with that and figure out okay how do we live that out
0: all right well i am looking forward to listening
1: Welcome to the podcast,
0: Anthony. Can you tell us a little bit about Arosha and what it does? Yeah, well, thanks, Bill. First, I need to say it's neat to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. So Arosha has been working in Canada for about 20 years, and we are a Christian nature conservation organization. So that means we are working to conserve species and places. That means we're involved in environmental education and in some places, some gardening or some sustainable agriculture. The other thing that we really love to do is we love to work with churches and encourage them in the ways that they are or the ways that they could be caring for creation as a part of their ministry in the community. But Arasha Canada is a part of an international network of Christian conservation organizations in more than 20 countries around the world and active for more than 40 years. So we've got lots of colleagues working in all kinds of locations around the world, and it's really a privilege to be a part of that global network.
1: Well, that sounds awesome. So you, as Ontario director, you get to go around to Ontario churches and kind of encourage them in thinking about how caring for the environment could be part of their ministry? Would that be accurate?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a part of what I do. I give some leadership to our Ontario team, but I love to respond to invitations from, from churches. And sometimes that's giving a sermon, sometimes it's speaking to a Sunday school group, sometimes it's connecting with a green team or a pastor who wants to know how can we get started in living out this call from God to care from creation. And it's fun to exchange ideas. It's fun to hear what churches are doing. There's a lot of creativity going on in churches across the province, particularly as congregations are listening to young people. And so it's neat to see that intergenerational exchange happening. And as an outsider, I get to float in, sometimes offer some ideas and hear reports about what's going on in congregations. And so it's pretty neat.
1: I got to hear you give a sermon recently in a church and the sermon you quoted a passage from Jesus, I think it's in Matthew where it says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny yet not one of them will fall to the ground without our father's care. So in that sermon, you were comparing God's care for these very common birds and our lack of care for them. And so I wanted to maybe start there and say... When we fail to show care for creation, are we kind of out of sync with what Jesus is teaching there or what God might be calling us to do? Is that kind of one of your messages?
0: I think we are. I think we're out of sync. And what strikes me about those passages, and we have a similar story in both Matthew and Luke. What strikes me about them is that Jesus is simply assuming that God cares for these little birds, these little sparrows. He doesn't make an argument for it. He doesn't do a lot of deep, complicated exegesis. He doesn't say, I have this new prophetic revelation from God. He simply assumes that God cares for sparrows. I think a lot of us are out of step and a lot of our congregations are missing that fact that God cares for all aspects of creation. So I think there's a really neat call to care for birds and to care for sparrows. And I think what's neat for us is that that is a fun and engaging thing to do, to learn more about the creatures that we share space with. Uh, it enriches our lives. It's not drudgery. It adds a layer of interest and detail to the way that we interact in our communities.
1: So what does that look like in a particular church then? What does caring look like if someone is in sync with what God might be calling them to do in, you know, in the 21st century and in a church, say, in Ontario? Do you have some examples where you feel like, yeah, this example or these people are actually really living out that call?
0: Yeah, I think there could be lots of examples. There are some churches that are simply paying more attention to the way in which the biblical writers are living with this deep knowledge and awareness of the natural world of which they're a part. So they're paying attention to the Psalms, to the Gospels, to the prophets, and seeing those connections that we sometimes gloss over. There are also churches that are doing some things differently with the property that they own. Maybe they've had a chunk of land that they have simply been mowing as grass for a couple of decades and are now realizing that, you know what, we can do more to benefit nature with that space than we have in the past. We can put in a pollinator garden. We can plant some trees. We can maybe reforest a section of our church property that we've just been mowing as a lawn. There's things like that. There are churches that are paying more attention to the energy that they're using. Some, of course, are putting up solar panels or trying to be more efficient with their church building systems. So there's lots of exciting things going on.
1: Would you go so far as to think about or talk to people about in in their homes as well, like outside of the church? Like in my home here in Hamilton, Ontario, my wife and I have been talking about actually putting in some more natural plants or pollinator type garden. So are there things that you talk about like that as well or do you more focus on helping churches to think about their base?
0: Well, I certainly like to encourage people to do those kinds of things. I think those are wonderful ways to be good stewards of that little part of the earth that we have responsibility for. It's not my area of expertise. And so I like to point people to community organizations that have lots to offer in that vein. Here in Ontario, we have our conservation authorities, which do lots of work informing the public and educating the public about things that we can do on our properties to be beneficial to wildlife.
1: So a group like yours can also be a sort of a referrer then and tell, tell people about resources around them that are encourage them to check out what might be around them that they don't haven't thought of or don't know where to look.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Okay, let me raise another question about something else that you wrote or talked about or sermonized about. I was looking on your website and there's a post there where you talk about something called cheap hope for the environment. I thought that was a really interesting concept. And I wondered if you could explain that for our listeners. What do you mean by cheap hope?
0: Yeah. Well, for those that know the work of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you might realize that I'm riffing off a phrase that Bonhoeffer uses. So a part of Bonhoeffer's experience of the church was asking this question, how did, how did we get things so wrong? How did we miss the call to care for people and the call to justice? So in his own context— Bonhoeffer is saying, well, we've used this very valid concept of grace, but in a way, maybe we've overused it or we've cheapened it. So I think we're tempted to do the same thing with hope. You know, we often get asked, my colleagues and I, about hope. You know, how are we hopeful? And I think that there's a risk of simply sticking in hope when we're, we're worried about the future of God's good earth. Or just sticking in hope when we don't know what to do and don't want to take the time to figure out what to do. And so I think a reliance on hope that doesn't ask anything of us, that doesn't cost us anything, that doesn't require us to be engaged and to be a part of the solution, I think that's cheap hope.
1: Yeah, okay. I think that's quite profound, really. I had never heard that expression before, that idea. But now I'm starting to see it around me a fair bit. So I appreciate that you, that you kind of came up with
0: that. I'm sure I've borrowed it from someone. That's one of the, the downfalls of a lifetime of reading and listening.
1: <laughs> That's okay. I'm, it's new to me, and I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear about it. To me, it brings home how serious our call is. But we hear a lot of serious calls about the environment. And I wonder, before maybe we get deeper into that, there's also an enjoyment piece about creation we're also called to enjoy creation, to celebrate, to experience it. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about some of your favorite things in creation. Like, do you go camping, or do you watch birds, or what are some things where you say this is how I enjoy what God has made in the environment around me?
0: When I was a university student, I worked as a wilderness guide, uh, so spent some some seasons in upstate New York, in Montana and some other parts of the continent. And so for me, being outside, particularly in wilderness areas, is where I really feel like God is close by. That's where I feel like there are more things right in the world than are wrong. So that's a part of how I take delight in God's world. But another example A few weekends ago, my family and I were at a baseball tournament down in Windsor. And on the way back, we decided to stop at Point Peely. Point Peely is a really neat spot for birders. But we just did a walk along the shoreline. And there we were, you know, looking out over Lake Erie. And we're just sitting there. And it was just absolutely beautiful. And then along came these tree swallows. And swallows are just wonderful flyers. They're just masters of flight. Their ability to dive and pull up at the last moment and dart to grab an insect is just as entertaining as I think anything in the world. We have to take the time to sit and observe, to not be so busy that we miss things like that. But those kinds of things are all around us. It's not just the big mountains. It's not just the remote wilderness, but it's small birds close by.
1: Yeah, I love those swallows, too. Here in the Hamilton area where I live, we've gone to some places where there are bluebirds, which are not swallows, but same kind of thing are beautiful to watch. Okay, let me ask you another question then. I was thinking about obstacles. So we have this important, serious call to care for creation, but there's also a lot of obstacles that get in our way. Sometimes for example it's just the environment that we fe- the human environment around us where we feel like everyone around us is not especially showing care for creation it seems like maybe everyone around us doesn't care so we feel awkward or that we don't fit in how do we stay faithful how do we find energy to make this a priority when it seems like there's so many examples around us where it's hopeless or other people don't care
0: I think one of our key challenges is not being overwhelmed by the global scale of these challenges.
1: Yeah, okay, I'll second that.
0: These are global challenges. But if we leave them at that level, it can be absolutely overwhelming. So I think one strategy is thinking about things on a local scale. How can we make a difference in our own neighborhood, in our own city, in whatever sort of space we might have some kind of say over? How can we make a difference? And then celebrating the differences that we see, um, the progress that we see being made. I think that's a part of it. I think also maintaining a practice of prayer, being attentive to who God is. You know, God is the one who's made this covenant with Noah and with all life back in the book of Genesis saying that it would never again be destroyed. God is the one who has said that all of creation isn't just good, isn't just useful, isn't just okay or nice, but it's very good. It's very good. And if that's the God that we pray to and that we we worship, I think there's hope. Um, Again, not an easy or cheap hope that doesn't require anything of us. But I think ultimately, there's hope.
1: Yeah, that's great. I like this idea of a deep hope. As opposed to a cheap hope or something like that right that's kind of what you're saying i hear anyways there's work for us to do and we can't just gloss over that but there is something that can encourage us even though it seems like you said that's at a global scale or maybe another way to think about it or i wanted to ask you about is just the feeling of noise around environmental issues sometimes i feel paralyzed because i feel like there are so many opinions flying around People will say climate change isn't real, or other people say it is, or there's theological arguments going on. People argue about nuclear power, and I feel like I don't know enough to get into those arguments. Sometimes I feel like I'll just stay away from that because I'm paralyzed and powerless. So I really like your idea of trying to make a difference locally and maybe not having to solve or have all the right answers on those 20,000-foot questions and arguments.
0: Yeah, I think that's important. And, you know, I think the other thing to be aware of is like we have made progress on some environmental issues. It's not all doom and gloom. You know, I'm old enough to remember when like acid rain was a serious problem in this part of the continent in particular, when there was serious worry about the depletion of the ozone layer. And we've made a lot of good progress on those things. I'm not old enough to remember the times when some of the rivers flowing into the Great Lakes would literally catch fire because they were so full of pollution. But apparently that was a time. That was a reality at one point in our history, and it's not anymore. So there have been lots of good points of progress on water quality issues, some of those other issues. You talked about the bluebirds earlier, that population has recovered in really neat ways. And largely because we think at least people have taken the initiative to help create habitat for them, help create nesting sites. So I think that's an encouraging example of efforts being taken that have yielded really good results.
1: Yeah, that's a good example. Actually, all the bluebirds that I've gone to see in Ontario here, it's always a location where humans have built nesting boxes for them. Yeah. So I guess you're right in that sense that just being able to watch them is also a celebration of some positive progress that people have made in terms of trying to help their population.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we could go down through a list. We could talk about like the peregrine falcons, even wild turkeys, yeah, there are other species that have experienced similar recoveries. That's not the broader story, yeah. but there are examples that show that a difference really can be made.
1: Okay, I'm going to ask you a bit of a theological one. I don't know quite, I don't know how to ask this. Sometimes with evangelical Christians in particular, I feel like sometimes creation care, people are worried that somehow it's risky, like it makes us liberal or like we're watering down the gospel or something like that if we prioritize creation care. Why does that happen? Why do people, why are people afraid or why are some of us respond so negatively to those kind of messages?
0: I have some thoughts. One is, I don't think this was always the case. Okay. Uh, I think creation care or environmental issues have become politically polarized I don't know what the time span has been, maybe it's the last 10 years, maybe it's the last 15 or 20, but there are examples in political history in both Canada and the US where some of the leading conservation initiatives were undertaken by conservatives. And so historically, I don't think this was quite so politically polarized. As I talk to Christian leaders now though, I do hear that this is one of the key barriers to deeper engagement in these matters is this fear. Well, it's not just a fear, it's a reality. These are political lightning rods, and particularly coming out of COVID, lots of leaders want to avoid controversy and want to avoid having to walk through some of those politically charged issues once again. So that's the reality. I don't think it has to be that way. I think particularly as we think about places that we all know and love, some of those political differences can dissolve a little bit because we don't have to be, I don't know, a radical like leftist to love a certain marsh or a lake or a stream. Right. Those are experiences and places that we all share and love and care deeply about. So when we can start there, I think that's one Important way to reduce some of that political tension. But I think the other place for Christians in particular is thinking about scripture. I think there's lots in the Bible that reinforces what we see in Genesis chapter 2, which is that call to the human vocation of caring for the earth. I think it shows up again and again and again. And, you know, furthermore, if we care about the well being of people, which the call to justice throughout scripture makes very clear that we have to do, then we have to care about the well-being of ecosystems and the broader context in which people do or don't thrive.
1: I really like what you said. I guess this is a theme maybe about the local focus. If we're talking about cleaning up some property, some open land nearby us that we'd like to go hiking in, it's less likely for people to get into theoretical arguments about high-level stuff and just cooperate and say, yeah, I enjoy using this. I enjoy walking my dog here, so let's clean up the garbage here or whatever. It takes us a little bit away from some of the abstract arguments, I guess.
0: It's true, but I'll insert the difficult caveat here. I think for a lot of the bigger issues, we do need to lean into political solutions. Okay. It is uncomfortable, but I do think it's unavoidable. But I think the church is really uniquely positioned, because when politicians try to work at these issues, they're bound by these various jurisdictional limits, you know, whether it's a county or a province or even a nation. But if we think about the church as the global body of Christ, we're in a pretty unique spot to talk about causes and effects, to see links that cause populations to suffer. And, you know, we know people on both sides. So I think the church can be in a really neat spot to actually knit that conversation back together.
1: That is very encouraging, Anthony. I'm thinking, you mentioned political leaders, I'm thinking about also the challenge that political leaders sometimes have with following through, maybe that's the word. Some political leaders will say, yeah, I agree, the environment is really important. But then when they are doing their work leading, they don't actually follow through it falls too far down their list because they're focused on other things and there's no progress made on taking care of the environment. So it must be hard for political leaders to deal with all the various issues that they have and to actually find some way to keep caring for creation somewhere near the top of their file. Do you have any thoughts or encouragement on that? I guess what I hear myself preaching to myself is that there is some need for us to engage politically or in our society in in terms of encouraging our leaders to keep those issues closer to the top of their to-do list.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And I don't think it needs to be mean-spirited or demanding, but consistent reminders that, hey, this is important. We think it's important. And if you're representing us, if you want our votes in the next round of elections, these are issues that are significant. So yeah, I think being involved in that conversation is important, But I think the complementary piece is thinking about what we do with our money and how we participate in the economy. When we spend money, we're voting for a certain this is how I think about it a certain reality, a certain type of human civilization. And we can, oftentimes, we have choices around how we spend our dollars, what sort of products we buy, how we set up our life. We don't all have the same choices, uh, but we often have some. And so I think that's a way to help to shift the systemic challenges that complements uh, how we vote and how we engage our political leaders.
1: Yeah, okay, I think that's right. Is there something else that you would like to share with our listeners? Do you have something that you'd wanna encourage them about or
0: make them aware of? You know, my encouragement for folks is always just to try something. You know, if you don't know where to start, Doesn't matter. Try something. Maybe try tracking the amount of electricity that you use, or maybe just figure out where it is that your garbage goes, or where it is that your sewer goes, or where it is that your water comes from. Get started. Do a little bit of investigating. Or maybe it's just take notice of some of the birds that are on your property or on your church property or at your school, and just do a little bit of digging. Where do they actually live? Are they here year-round? Or are these some of these really interesting birds that might spend the winter in Mexico? So finding a place to start, beginning to learn, and then paying attention to the call of the Holy Spirit and to your own heart as you begin to get to know God's creation a little bit better. I think it's a joy, and I think there's lots of promise there for each one of us as we just take an initial step. Thank you. That's a very encouraging
1: message. Thank you for joining us today and our listeners. We'll put in the notes of the program, some hyperlinks for our listeners if they want to find out more about Arasha or other things that we've
0: mentioned in the episode. Thanks again. That's wonderful, Bill. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.